Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. I do want to tell you real quick uh, out of the gates that if you are just coming upon this podcast, uh, we are primarily 12-step recovery based. Um, most of the time somebody comes in and tells their, their story, what it was like, what it, what happened and, and what it's like now. Uh, but I do... Uh, I do explore ways that other people get sober and I do have guests now and again that, uh, help us in our next phases and stuff. Uh, you know, you get, you get through these steps and, and life begins to get good for you again. And then next thing you know, as we say, it's a peeling of the onion and there's uh, other issues underneath of that, that, uh, uh, well, for one thing, the big book tells me I must continue to enlarge my spiritual life. And when I say that, I mean my spirit that's inside of me, my my essence, my soul. I need to nourish and enlarge that part of me. And uh, we have guests here that help uh, give us ideas about how we can go about that part of our recovery. So uh, you can just let you know that real quick, 12-step Spiritual Recovery is a book by my sponsor, James Christopher Cohn, is the 12 Steps for Everyone. It is uh, most 12-step fellowships out of the hundred of them or so that are out there are geared towards substance abuse or behavior issues. And uh, we kind of opened the gates to say, you know, you don't have to have a particular problem to come harness these tools and, and, and uh, you know, ex- uh explore the power that millions of others have used to get well. So uh, we have meetings. You can go 12stepspiritualrecovery.com and uh, we have Zoom meetings and there's a couple of live meetings here in the Louisville area too that you can come to. So from anywhere in the world, you can join. The book is on Amazon, 12 Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn. And we will get on with the business here tonight. So as I said in the, in the uh, warm up there that I like to I like to talk to people that help me grow. It's been a big, huge part of me. I think we have to seek out, you know, uh, one of the fundamental things about 12 step recovery is that I can't do it, uh, but we can. So I need to reach out for help from various places. Um, I want my favorite lines in the big book is where uh, Bill Wilson talks about practitioners of various kinds and how helpful they can be in our case during and afterwards. So uh, we have one of those kind of practitioners of various kinds on tonight. Um, Of course, it'll be morning if you're listening. Uh, My guest today is Dr. John St. John. He is a Ph.D. and author, uh, counselor, therapist, I believe. I don't know which one of those terms is exactly right. Probably both. And um, I've been reading up on him, but I always like the horse's mouth. And instead of trying to say who he is and what he does, let him uh, let him tell us that. How are you doing tonight, tonight Dr. Doctor Don? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Dan. And I'm excited to be here to talk to you. I'm looking forward to seeing what emerges in this conversation. Yeah, it's something. Uh, it's my new way of getting high is having these conversations and engaging with people on how we can do things, you know, how I can explore ways to, uh, I say we, we use the word juice in our circle that, you know, and it's kind of like the same as like prana or our life energy or that kind of thing. So if somebody would tell you a really good story, you'd say juice, man, that's juice. And we, and I like to say that I want to wring as much juice out of this trip on the big, on this big blue marble as I can, you know, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to make the most out of it. And, uh, and why not? Yeah. Why not? What's the other thing, you know, and sit you around know, miserable. Dan, when you said, I can't, but we can, see, I think you're acknowledging a fundamental reality 
because the sense of self as an isolated I is in and of itself a problem. Yeah. Because yeah. We're, we're, we're much more we, we're, or put it another way, we're as much we as we are I. Yeah. I, I, the I thought is what gets me in trouble. It's when I actually open up and realize that we're like a one big organism in a sense, uh, that we work together and in concert rather than um, so many times, you know, and I don't know if it's I think it's probably cultural from from time memorial. But uh, there's I was given the idea that I was that I had to do it, whatever it was. You know, whether if it was school, whether if it was getting a job, whether if it was completing the next project, it was up to me. I had to pull up my britches and get her done, you know, and uh, that was a barrier for me coming into recovery because, uh, you know, I had a tough time letting my gates down, letting the walls down to allow other people to come in. That famous individualism. Yeah. In our country, it's pretty intense. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a big wall most of the time. Uh, it's uh, but boy, once I let the walls down and started actually engaging in and becoming a part of my community, and uh, and really switching it from what what and switching from what I can do for me into what I can do for you, things turned. When I started spinning, there's some spiritual axiom or something that seems to be true in the universe is that when I when I stop worrying about me and I start worrying about you, my life goes better. Mm-hmm. So when I reach out and, uh, you know, they say that in, in recovery, that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our troubles. Uh, I get focused off of me and uh, start worrying about other people and, and things start going better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So tell me a little bit about what, uh, how you you know, ended it. I know that's a big, long story, but a, a nutshell kind of thing of what happened to you and what made you end up uh, in the position that you're in today. Well, uh, I'm going to say this half tongue in cheek, and that that is I was fortunate enough to have a very traumatic upbringing. Mm. And, you know, it reached a, a pinnacle one morning, I was about 20, 21 years old, my third or fourth year in the Air Force. And I woke up in the backseat of my car. I was bleeding from my throat. And, you know, I'd been drinking since five o'clock to about two in the morning. And I said, I heard this little voice in my head and said, you need help. And, you know, a 19, 20-year-old doesn't think about psychiatrists. Uh, where I came from, the only people who saw psychiatrists were the so-called crazy people who, you know, needed to go into a mental hospital. Uh, but I knew I needed help, so I went to the Yellow Pages. I found the psychiatrist who worked on Saturdays because, you know, I worked Monday through Friday. And... Uh, I start seeing him and one thing led to another. And here I am talking to you today, having written a book, actually revised the book. The new one is a revision. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, so that, that kind of how it started. Yeah. That's a, a, another typical thing is what seems to be the worst thing that could happen to you ends up being the thing that catapults you into 
the future, you know, and almost uh, when a guy comes in, let's say I meet a guy in 12-step recovery and he comes in and I ask him what happened, because that's usually some event happened that drove him in there. He didn't just wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm heading to an AA meeting. And the bigger that trouble is, the more excited I am for him <laughs> because well, the consequences, the deeper the consequences, the more drive that person will have to get better, to, to avoid those consequences. See, that also involves, Dan, that person making a choice. You know, he, he may have been hit by that sledgehammer, but he chose to use that moment to do something different. Yeah. You don't generally get to talk to the people who feel victimized by that sledgehammer, get up and continue to engage in the same behavior that got them hit in the first place. Yeah. Right? Right. So that choice has to be made in there like, okay, thank you, God. I'm getting the message. I'm going to do something here. Yeah, we uh, we could call it the jail cell prayer. You know, the, please, God, I'll do anything if you get me out of here. Yeah. Uh, uh, so tell me a little about what you focus on and how do you, you know, what, what, what do you do? Well, right now, you know, I'm a month, uh, five weeks ago, I celebrated my 80th birthday. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Thank you. And so I'm semi-retired in terms of seeing people, teaching groups, things like that. I used to teach a lot of groups, relationship groups, body awareness groups. Uh, I still see a number of people a week, maybe about seven or eight, very part-time. Uh, and I speak about all these things. And, yeah. You know, what I concluded, Dan, after well over 50 years, and that that morning that I woke up was, I believe, 1964. Mm -hmm. So 36 and 23, 59 years ago, yeah. I correct? Uh, at any rate, a long time ago. And what I concluded is... We all have challenges. We've all been traumatized to one degree or another. And the object isn't to get back to some so-called normal, which I don't believe exists. I believe that's, that's a myth brought over from the medical world where, you know, if you don't have symptoms, you're normal. And whether it's in terms of our self-esteem, our connection to ourselves, our ability to be really intimate with other people, to sustain a long-term intimate sexual relationship, our ability to age gracefully and fluidly, all of us have been wounded and as I see it, you know, the, the purpose of being here on this planet is to become whole or move in the direction of becoming whole. And I identified four areas that I believe need to be included on that journey. 
And some are well-known and others aren't. For example, the body. You see, the body has both an outside, the structure that you're looking at. When you're looking at me, you're looking at my body. But there's also my body from the inside, how I feel it, how I experience it, how in touch I am with it. In my situation, in my 20s, I couldn't feel it much at all. I was pretty frozen. Yeah. So that was a whole journey that continues to this day to feel, to sense, to, to know myself moment by moment on the inside. On the outside, we're looking also at an architectural structure, the organization of which can be improved. Like when I was in my 20s, my shoulders lived up here around my ears. Hmm. My head lived forward of my neck and the weight, gravity, you know, take my head down into my breastbone and put pressure there, inhibiting a full, easy breath. So there are methods. You may have heard of Rolfing, structural integration, Heller work, I don't know if you've heard of I have of not heard of either one of those. Okay, well, they're designed to improve the overall structure of the body. To get your head to come back over your shoulders you and your me? shoulders over your chest, over your pelvis. Okay, So, you know, again, at 80 years old, my standing walking posture is much better than it was when I was 20. That's quite a statement, if you think yeah, of it. Yeah, that is a big statement. Yeah, big, because you see people as they age, most of the time that just gets worse and worse and worse. That head goes down, the body, back arches back, and uh, posture becomes, uh, and it's, you know, I don't think you have to work on what you're doing. You have to do that on purpose to prevent the other thing from happening. You can't just. It's not a luck thing. It's it's right. Gravity will win every time. Every time. Yep. 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 I fell in love with yoga a few years ago. And And that's uh, another way of doing it. See, that's another changed me and got me in touch with my body and uh, and and help help. uh, It was a leveling up of my recovery. You know, these things that are outside of true uh, getting sober stuff that I can do to be to feel better because ultimately that's what I want to do is. When it can boil it down, I want to feel good. Right. And yeah. I think that's what draws us to the, to the bottle. It draws us to drugs of some sort or other. Because we want to yep. feel good. You know? Yep. Yep. And they do. They feel good at first. At, at yeah, some point, those things while. stop working. They do for a while. Right. Right. So the body, what kind of, uh, you, can you spell that? What did you, well, the first thing you said was raw. Raw thing, R-O-L. F-I-N-G. The other was Heller work. I got that one and I saw that. integration. And I'm sure you have practitioners right there in Kentucky. Yoga does a fine job as well. It's one of the more popular approaches. And one of the the most uh, available 
yeah, it's very available. That's that's what that's how I fell into it. And we had a program here in Louisville that would combine the 12 steps in yoga. So it was a 90 minute uh, meeting and half of it was yoga and half of it was a 12 step meeting. And I got tricked into going one day by a lady and uh, and I fell in love with yoga. I walked out of there going, wow, hold on. You know, again, I had that like a buzz kind of thing, you know, that yeah. really, I, I felt good walking out the door and I wanted more of that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have a, a hypothesis that people who become addicted are really looking for spirituality. Yeah, and, I agree. And getting, you know, feeling the value so immediately of yoga just suggests that you're, you were ripe and ready. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that now. You know, at the time I think about it, it just felt like stumbling along. And then now when I look back, it seems like uh, cards were strategically being played to allow me to walk the path. I kind of think of that as, you know, watch, letting the universe help me take whatever the next step is and uh and i i call them miracles today because things were happening in my life that i could not explain uh and and things just fell into place day after day month after month year after year so what's the you i think you said four things so that's the some and you call you say that's the somatic body right and that what your term usually is Technically, somatic refers to the connection to the body from the inside. Hmm. It's a distinction that was made by a philosopher who who developed a system of working with the body, and he made the distinction between the body as we see it from the outside and as we experience it from the inside, and he Hmm. called that the soma or, or somatic education to okay. you know to enhance that sense of connection to our body what about the next one i think uh, you said four things yeah yeah the, the next like there's four pillars, uh, pillars of a edifice but you know i don't get stuck on what the four things are but Four that came to me very clearly, and the, the second is the psychological, emotional, and I, I think the most important part of that, and they're all related to each other. You you can't yeah, yeah everything intervene on together, right? You can't intervene with one without affecting all four. But it's good to have them in mind to to get a robust bust uh, path if you're carving a path on this journey. Uh, the second, I think the most important part of that psychological, emotional, are the core beliefs, the deep beliefs that function as operating systems mm-hmm. and that we conclude, we formulate them. We come to believe them at an emotional, bodily, somatic level, often by the time we're three or four years old. Let me give you an example of one that, you know, we we can take on by the time we're three months old, and that is, is this world safe? Hmm. So, for example, I almost died during the birth. 
my mother said it was the skill, consummate skill of an obstetrician that saved, kept me from dying. So immediately, immediately, I learned, hey, this place is dangerous. This place can kill you in a second. And, you know, that that goes Not in deep. Not to water heater. My father lives with me. Okay. And uh, he wanted to tell me something. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. He's 84, uh, 85. He's uh, doing really good for that age himself. He just, he lives in a upstairs of studio apartment and up the steps he took off. I saw he's mows the grass. He's been fortunate to uh, be in uh, age well. He's aging very well. God bless him. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I will put that like in trauma par- in department. You know, and think of it because a lot of times when people think about trauma, they want to think about like a violent something that happened to you or and it doesn't have to be that kind of thing. You know, I, I wonder I have a little setup in my head of thinking about maybe if uh, you were a baby in your crib and you were six months old and maybe mom is wore out and she went in and she crashed out. Maybe she drank too much and passed out. Maybe she went out in the yard and forgot about you, but you lay in that bed and scream for mom. And for most of the time, when you lay in there and cry, mom comes to you. But for whatever reason, this day, mom doesn't come for a long time. And how that could end up being something where, you know, and, and you can't like, I don't know, I would say it seems very difficult to go mine that back out and, and process it. But it would seem to be something that would could possibly cause you with abandonment issues uh, from there on out. And you don't even know where it came from. But there's that you had an event happen to you. I always think like my sponsor tells me like we're we're like a computer hard drive. Everything that hit every experience that hits us sticks on that hard drive and there's no erasing it. You can defrag it. You can do some other stuff. Kind of like if you've got stuff on your computer that you don't want anybody to see, you can wipe that computer out. But the FBI will find what was on that computer <laughs> at one point or another. And uh, and, yeah, and we, we ingest these experiences in life the same way. And uh, and many of them affect us, you know. What affects you negatively may not do that to me. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, imagine that event occurring on a regular basis. You're yeah. crying in bed and no one comes. Or here's another one that's very common. Uh, you know, you're you're hungry and you're wanting food and your mother interprets it as needing rest and puts you to sleep or vice versa. And you soon begin to realize that your needs, what's important to you, what you're crying for, isn't going to get met, isn't coming. Mm. And so, you know, you grow up with that program. And we have to remember how tender the heart is. At that age, it is vulnerable, tender, responsive. And if those conditions are such, you know, that your heart is getting really hurt, then you're going to start building walls around it. So, for example, you develop a personality that I don't need anything, you know. And you end up marrying somebody who's needing something every minute, 
And you just can't understand why that person is so emotional and that person can't understand why you're so unresponsive. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is a very good example. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, I, we, I, I call that I've been programmed that way. You know, there's programming, not a purpose. Nobody, you know, these things, not necessarily where somebody trying to do bad things to me. They didn't, yes. they didn't set out to say, okay, let's see how bad we can screw up this little Dan. Uh, that wasn't it at all. Uh, you know, uh, and that's something that we dig into over time is to start looking and start delving into how I was programmed. And I don't think I can do that by myself. I need you to help me do that. I need another person or maybe more than one uh, to help me go in there and, uh, and, allow, and, and, you know, that the same thing, you know, if you're, it's like an icy crust around your heart, you know, it's like an ice that builds up. And at some point you got to like put that thing on defrost <laughs> And start and start uh, getting that ice to melt away, so that you can talk about things that are very difficult to talk about. It's getting dark here. Yeah, it just did. Got dark there. They turned off one of my lights. <laughs> uh, he's a good dude. I'm, he, I, lo I love him to death. He's been by my side all my life, and one of the one of my. Uh, it's an honor today to be able to, uh, my mom passed away a few years ago and he was going to be someplace alone. And, uh, and I didn't want that to happen. And we cut a deal and he, he moved in with me. Good for you. It's, yeah. It's yeah. been really, really good. Fortunate for both. Yep. It is works really good. Um, I have a toolbox of skills. Like I can fix almost anything and I can do just about anything. Or I, my main gig around is handyman and, and everything I know how to do come from him. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I can, I can fix anything and I can do just about anything. I sat behind a desk for 28 years doing one thing when I had this whole toolbox. And that's been another miracle of recovery is that they laid me off. I was worked for them for 24 years as a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I was sober four years and they laid me off. But the mm -hmm. instant that happened, the very instant that happened, because I had been, uh, uh, like Bill, Bill writes this one article in what was called The Grapevine. It's a magazine that the Alcoholics Anonymous puts out. And he, he has a line I like a lot. It says, having had a little spiritual development, then I was able to see that this was something big and this didn't have to be a catastrophe. I didn't have to go worry about what was going to happen next. I had to rely on the same power that helped me get sober and had been doing for me for the last four years and just go looking for what what it was wanting me to do now, not be the victim, not play that role, you know, and make such a difference in one's life. Doesn't it, Dan? Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. That's like that. You can that, see the blessing in there yeah. and not fall into what might've easily been a victim place yeah. from which there's just no evolving. Yeah. And I think my, you know, we have this, thing like a mentor a sponsor here and uh i have a wonderful one and i he's he's he allows me to see things that i can't see myself he says well maybe this is really that not mm -hmm. what you think it is you know and mm -hmm. uh, i have that day-to-day -day contact with him it helps me uh there's an old aa guy uh that wrote a book called a new pair of glasses and he relates like recovery to getting a new pair of glasses you can all of a sudden can see again 
and you see things, your perception changes, you know, you get a different perspective about things. Yeah. And as you get a different perspective, your feelings change. Yeah. Yeah. But back to that, you know, this programming that we get, I do think that is like the core where most people's struggles are at. It's this, it's yeah. a self-esteem. It's, it's, uh, need, like you said, needs not being met, uh, not being able to speak my truth and say yeah. my needs, you know, here are my needs. I'll just sit and just be up, just take whatever I can get. You know, I don't deserve any better than this, I guess. And, I think that's the core of them all. They're all sorts of variations. You just named three or four. And I think at the core is the last thing you said, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthwhile. Some version of that. I'm yep. not worthwhile. I'm not good enough. Uh, you, you know, if I get close to someone, I'll hurt them. All they'll leave and you get to know, if you really got to know me you won't like me there you go yeah and you know that's that last thing you said if if you really get to know me you won't like me there, there's this fundamental tension in most families between authenticity and attachment it's, it's just that when when the child is perceiving, I'll say perceiving, because that's that's the crucial variable, not what's being sent, but what the child is receiving. If he receives the message that there are certain aspects of being, for example, speaking strongly to your parents or your sexuality or something of that nature, any of those. And if he perceives that that's not acceptable, then he has to begin to, you know, create some kind of persona that he believes will be acceptable at the cost of his authenticity, resulting in the exact words you just said. If you get to know me, you're not going to like me. Yeah, I'm excellent. hiding all these bad things. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, talk about like the masks I wear, you know, I have to keep on putting on a mask in order to yeah. fit in here and to fit in there. And I go watch and see, you know, what's it going to take to be liked here? Okay. I'll figure that out. Uh, you know, I'm in another group I look like a completely different guy because I'm doing what I need to do to, to be like there. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Authenticity is a big, has been a big, uh, key word in my life over the years too because uh i think that's we're getting you know that's it's a uh as you were kind of uh getting to earlier you know that life is going to it's going to have challenges that's just what life is that is buddha said that life is suffering yeah. it's going to have to it's, yeah. it's yeah. that's what it is and my job is to manage those things you know to kind of like the uh, what's it, Joseph Campbell's hero story, you know, that I'm going to, I'm going to slay this particular dragon that happened to show up in my life, whatever it is, and then move past it and help other. And then I like the part, especially about coming back and helping other people who have the same problem, uh, show them how you did that. Yep. Exactly. Uh, take them by the hand and, and walk them through that. And, uh, in that very same story, Dan, it's only a percentage of the individuals who will leave 
the right. community and go on that journey to slay the dragons and, you know, yep. counter the allies and uh, then come back. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. It is. It's a, it's, I think that's the hero, right? That's, it's that's a, a segment of the population, not, uh, you know, but you fall into that trap and so many do. And that's kind of like when I would give that commercial for the 12 step recovery thing of just trying to do something to help people. Because as I move around the world and, and move around my world, um, the healthier I get and the more in touch I get with me and my community, like my 12 step community, for instance, then the more apparent it is when I see other people who are suffering, you know, mm -hmm. you can almost feel their energy that, that, yeah this person is bound up, you know, you can see it in them, you know, and uh, so many people are walking around like that today. Yeah. Uh, notice what you just said, bound up. What are you seeing? Their body. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Their body needs that help too, because, because sometimes, you know, you can clear your mind, but the tissues won't change. Right. Just the, the physical nature of the material. It gets stuck and doesn't change. So it's hard to express the new choices, the new repertoire behavior with tissues that it won't yield to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Oh, it made me think of that, that book, The Body Keeps Score or whatever. The Body Keeps the Score. And yeah, Bessel van der Kolk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, a lot of, uh, and that's, you know, I went to teacher training, teach, uh, yoga teacher training. I got so involved in it that I wanted to, and I really did it for myself, not so much to be a teacher. I wanted to deepen my practice. And we went to that and a lot of things we're talking about, you know, releasing this energy in different parts of the body. You know, not just, it's not just sitting in funny positions or stretches and stuff you're actually releasing and and kind of wringing out bound up energy pods that are throughout the body and that's the one thing about you know that we taught about yoga is it's kind of like a full body ring out there you don't have this energy uh potted up in places you know like they say a lot of your stress and stuff is in your hips and mm. shoulders and uh, getting that stuff moving around so that you're because your body is a magnificent machine and it will take care of that stuff. But when it's all bound, when it's all um, wadded up in a ball, it, it, it's, it, it won't break free and dissipate. Absolutely. Exactly. So the next thing on this list talks about relationships, the relational. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, it could be put along with the psychological, emotional, but I think it deserves a category of itself because agree. so much to learn in the area of relationships and especially intimate, sexual, long-term relationships like marriage. And I come to realize how many people, I have no idea, Dan, of what the percentages are, but very, very many people don't know, haven't experienced emotional intimacy, where they can take off all their clothes emotionally with another person yeah. and just speak from the heart. 
Just let them know who they are. Not be afraid of embracing the different aspects of themselves, not being afraid to be vulnerable, not being afraid to be strong when necessary. Uh, and the other thing related to that is how challenging it is for people to let love in. Mm -hmm. To let someone look you straight in the eye and say, you're awesome. I just love being with you and not having to do something to deflect. Yeah. Right. That, that input. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's another thing I've heard. I just, my mind grabs all these little things. Uh, I think it was Johan Harry said the opposite of addiction is connection. Yep. And that really lands with me a lot too. And then what we do in our circles is we grab these guys up and, you know, in our group, we hug, you know, we, mm -hmm. we let you stick your hand out to me. I go, oh, what are you doing? You know, we're going to work. And we, and, you know, and I learned to hug in 12 step recovery. I learned to hug men. You know, I wouldn't hug that. I, I wasn't running around hugging men before then and actually feeling each other too, you know, grasp each other and hold each other and feel that mm -hmm. other person's energy. And, uh, and, you know, that's in one of the walls that, that we work to break down is that, uh, ex alcoholics tend to end up in an isolated position, right? They've either ran everybody off because of their behaviors or they have their self worth has gone in the hole so far that they're, they're all alone. They're drinking in their basement by themselves all the time. And then they break back out in the community and they don't know what to do there. You know, they're very uncomfortable being in community. And, uh, and mm -hmm. I watched that, you know, and, and again, my sponsor's a substance abuse, uh, counselor and has been doing it for a long time. So I feel like I've been very fortunate in that I've, uh, sat at the foot of a, of a master in a sense and get to soak up his, uh, knowledge and experience really it's more experience than knowledge i think uh i don't know what the difference is now that i say that but to break that down and that starts happening with us in the sponsor sponsee relationship where we start building a relationship with one another i want you to call me every day we're going to talk for a few minutes every day we're going to sit down once a week and work through these this text mm -hmm. and and begin to get and you know they're they're flipped out about it to some extent because they're one of like they can't believe that i'll spend a couple hours with them on a saturday <laughs> or whatever day it is uh it's like why are you that sometimes like what is your motive what why is this guy doing this <laughs> there's something going on if he's willing to just freely get to know me and that starts bringing that self-worth up where you tell you know uh, i'm i'm communicating with them even non-verbally that they are worth something that they are worth and they do deserve to have better you know they they don't they're not they don't have to stay stuck where they are and the other thing is is i'll watch i'm not in a relationship right now and haven't been for a while I, uh the disease took i gave up a 17-year marriage as a result of my alcoholism and uh, I got sober for about a year while we were still married. And then I slipped up and that slip up costed it because she wasn't going to go back to that. That was not going to tolerate that. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I watch it's an interesting dynamic. How many relationships fall apart when it, one of the other parties get sober? And I say that, you know, I like to say 
this thing acts like a parasite and it hijacks your operating system. But I think life does that at some extent, all that trauma. And you were saying, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. masks that we put on is actually like being hijacked. I'm no longer me. I'm no longer the me that is actually down inside my core. I've become something completely different than that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when two people hook up when before sobriety, they get one of them gets sober and they realize they didn't really like each other. Like their picker was broken when they, when they joined up, but I'm also very uh, uh, encouraged by a number of couples that are both in recovery, you know, and to watch them walk this, this path together and learn to be, I see that true intimacy you're talking about begin to be a a part of their lives, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing short of a beautiful thing. It is. It is a beautiful thing. It's a big deal. It's not easy to reach. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, I think one of the reasons it's not is because it's so rare that it wasn't demonstrated. So few people get to grow up in a household where that is demonstrated. Absolutely. It's almost as if, you know, if if you look at various psychological systems of development it's almost as if it's a level that humanity hasn't quite reached yet and we're not quite there yet where this kind of intimacy connection that's sustainable over time and you know vibrant emotionally sexually vibrant yeah you know it's just not part of the fabric yet. And I think it's a direction towards which we need to move. Yeah, I agree. Because children growing up in homes where the parents really like each other and, you know, really like being close to each other, yet have not sacrificed their internal sense of freedom. See, I think intimacy involves both freedom and closeness. Okay. And if you have one without the other, it out just, of balance. yep. It's out of balance. It doesn't sustain itself. Yeah. I really, uh, freedom, uh, is definitely something I see lacking in, in many relationships that I witness where there's, um, I don't I don't even know but how to how to put it into words but I sense that uh, a lot of times what it is is the male is not getting the freedom that he thinks he needs and the female is uh might be that person you were talking about that just kind of needy and and it just causes a friction all the time I I tell my people to get some counseling because I'm not prepared for that. That's beyond my pay grade. And yeah. and I have a number of people that I'm watching to do that at the moment. Married couples who are 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 committed to growing their relationship and willing to do that sacrifice of taking the time and go see somebody who can help them. I think that's those what it takes, Dan. Because I don't think they can do it together. It's it's a big journey because as you said a minute ago how many of us grew up in families where you know our parents just liked each other liked being with each other and yet had their own you know their own sense of themselves as autonomous individuals you know yep 
Yep. And I know that it's particularly, I've done close to 300 of these podcasts. I can't remember 287 or something. And I say bell ringers because I have people tell me their stories and, you know, that, that, um, I want to say dysfunctional, but I won't go that less than functional family mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. are under eighth of 90% of them. Mm-hmm. Single families, not having a mom and a dad or, or step parents and just various kinds of things. And that'll be one of the, one of the seeds they will talk about having an impact on them when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, uh, I treasure the relationship. We have something special in this group and uh, maybe other people. Uh, I hope everybody feels that way about their group too, that we have a special, well, I mean, uh, my home group is a men's group. It's a men only AA group. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we're, we've had great leaders ahead of us to demonstrate and model uh, why this is working so good. Like this month, uh, Tuesday night, we will celebrate six one year birthdays. So there's six new guys who have made it to 365 oh. days. Uh, so that's six dudes who make it because the percentages are pretty bad for success and in, in recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. it, they're, they're terrible. Um, but my relationship with these men that I almost, you know, they feel like family today and we can actually uh, express our feelings with one another. And we have the ability to, to call each other out on things and, and, be able to say hey i think you're maybe going in a direction you don't want to be going uh because i'm 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 capable of doing that i don't uh, one of the other things i like to say is i don't see me that well you see me better than i see me and mm-hmm. so when i'm when i'm wandering off the beam uh my friends see me first and mm-hmm. unless i'm vulnerable with them and i'm able to be open then they can't see me either they see some representation of me True. And that's a beautiful thing you've got. It is, really is. I mean, that's such a healing force to have a group of people who are committed to a path and committed to the process and who are willing to show up, you know, week after week, however many times you do it. Yeah, we meet once a week. And but we get together other times all the time. You know, there's a, we take a, we, we have a commitment with a local substance abuse treatment center where we go in there once a week, just a couple of us at a time to talk to the people who are actually inpatient treatment to try and, you know, point them. Well, I feel like I'm a sign. Go that away. Help is that away <laughs> and point at us, <laughs> you know, yeah. come, yeah. C- come with us, come with me. I can promise you. It's a healing force, one of the strongest, you know, to have a group of people who not only stand by you, but are willing to call you when you start going off the path. Yep. And that's, you know, it's precious. And uh, and pick you back up when you fall, whatever that fall may be, whether if it's all there, but, you know, life throws you a curveball. You know, we've always got, you know, and, you know, I've been through some stuff and I feel like uh, my brotherhood was a safety net that helped me help keep me from hitting the ground again. You know, they wrapped their arms around me and helped carry me through a a few situations. Um, My passing of my mother. And now I try to be that safety net, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and somebody's always, 
Yeah, what Andy Andrews is another guy I listen to, and he says uh, you're either heading into a crisis or in a crisis or getting out of a crisis. <laughs> Those are the three modes of life. <laughs> yeah, and crisis in the ch Chinese system, the characters are danger and opportunity. Yeah, right. I think he says that, too. He talks about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Relationship just is just so... Uh, I don't know, so critical in my life. Uh, uh, it's something that I thought I had friends prior, but this redefined that for me. It completely redefined mm -hmm. the meaning of a friendship to me, you know, rather than the old beer drinking buddies that were, you know, I love you, man. Uh, all that, <laughs> this, this, this real, real true intimate relationships with my brothers, with my, with these other males in my life. Yeah. And then uh, here's another one. People say it's the biggest block to 12-step recovery that people come in and they confuse the spiritual for religion. Mm. That is the number one block for people to get better. They cannot get their head out because that's what they've been taught all their life. It's another programming. It's another training that we received all our life, whether if you want to or not, uh, you're exposed to it. And your experience with it is going to put a stamp onto your hard drive. That's a mighty tough one to uh, defrag. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because, you know, religion means from the Latin, it means to reconnect, to relink. Yeah. And that is the essence of spirituality is, is to recognize and, and connect with the higher power. I uh, we have a term that we use in recovery called that we're spiritually sick. And again, when I first got here, I thought they were telling me I weren't going, I wasn't going to church enough, and <laughs> and I wasn't. But uh, but I've come to find out that I that the spirit inside of me, due to those circumstances that I had happen to me as a child, actually made my spirit ill. It made like the same thing that ice around the heart, that crust yeah. that we get on us, and uh, and and this process is a really good process for uh, for thawing that out and, and and processing it. And I try to tell people, you know, because uh, it's funny because we say if you find a god of your own understanding, a higher power that you can get with, you know, and it's a completely open door. Because uh, I have found that it doesn't really matter what you believe. <laughs> But you need to believe in something. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, I know some people that go through uh, recovery who talk about, you know, they, I will say this, I'll say it this way. They claim to be atheists, that they have no belief system. Uh, I don't really believe that. <laughs> I, uh, period well, in my high school, I claimed to be an atheist, but I was doing it just for shock value. That's the only reason I was doing it when I was a kid. Now, atheism is an interesting religion. <laughs> yeah well, it's I funny but i lean on that and you know as i started doing this and and when in the beginning and my sponsor asked me to start praying start asking for help and guidance from the universe if that's what whatever it didn't he didn't care what it was whatever i called it and uh you know the, the doggone thing was is when i started actually doing that it's it started coming the help started coming 
you know? So I, you know, my belief in that, you know, most humans, if it's working, they'll keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the bad thing about it is when it stops working, we don't always stop doing it. But uh, I, I watched my spiritual life grow from experiencing it. Yeah. And I had to, I had to experience it for myself. Your experience really wasn't selling me. I had to feel it. Yeah. And I think one of the most important processes in spiritual life is the process of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I, I think we have to like really engage. What does that mean? How do I go about doing it? Why would I want to do it? You know, all those questions that we need to get a handle on. So it's not just an idea, a concept, but a lived experience. Yeah. And I think yeah. forgiveness is the key to open the heart. And I even talk about an attitude of forgiveness, which I define as a readiness to let go. Somebody does something that really bugs me, cuts me off in traffic. You know, this morning gave me a barista, gave me a lukewarm cup of coffee. I asked her to give me a warm, hot cup of coffee. She did with this attitude, you know, and I could feel my old tendency of wanting to stay in my mind for a little while, you know, talking inside about what a terrible person that must be to do something, you know, like that. And then to just let it go, just let it go. It means nothing. Yeah. And there's so many of those things that we encounter in driving all the time. Somebody doesn't stop on that yellow light so you can make that left turn and they just keep plowing right past you. And, you know, you want to get, oh, you want to get riled up. And you know, we can spend 20 minutes of our lives in that upset or we can let it go as soon yeah. as it happens. As soon as we feel that initial surge, you know, we can release it. Yep. That's what be I call be aware of it. Forgiveness. Yeah. Be aware of it and then reel it in. And, and we, it's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, big piece of our 12 step stuff too. That's we do something called an eight step prayers where we, you know, that, you know, we make a, when we do inventory, we, most of the people on our list are people we have resentments against, which is people we haven't forgiven, you know, we haven't been able to forgive them. That's what almost a definition of what a resentment is. Yep. And, uh, and we practice and I have to, I learn to forgive all those people in on that list yeah. over time. You know, I do one yeah. a day and I learn that. And then, you know, some of them, I have to go out and ask for their forgiveness. I had to go own my stuff and face them and tell them that, you know, what I did was wrong and own my stuff. And, uh, ask them what I can do to make it right. And also listen to what they need to say to me and, and knock that down. And then after uh, practicing that whole session and forgiveness started becoming a part of my operating system, you mm -hmm. know, like you said, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not a saint. Mm 
Uh, but I reeled in pretty doggone quick today. Uh, things just are not worth my emotional energy at that level. I have better things to put. I have better places to put my emotional energy than than resentment and and uh, anger and those kind of things. It's just not worth it. Yeah, makes a difference, doesn't it? Huge. I, I say those eight step prayers when we get, you know, we tend to do uh, in meetings, we'll have topics. And, you know, when the eight step comes around, uh, it had the biggest impact on who I am today above any other step I did because it taught me to have a forgiving heart. Yeah. Or that that's just my operating system and no longer does every little thing that trips me up. Uh, you said you'll deal with it for 20 minutes. Oh, well, I'm going to deal with it for a day or two. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be laying in bed that night thinking about it for sure. Yeah, uh, I and I and I don't anymore. I don't anymore. That's what I would do. Um, and it's much healthier for your physical body as well. Yep, yep. Much, and that's how much. that stuff gets intertwined. That you know, when, mm-hmm. when I'm when I have that in me, the rest of me is wound tight like a like a watch spring. But sometimes, Dan, it's important that. For example, if we experience a profound betrayal, something something that really rocks us badly, it's important not to deny, suppress, or repress, whether it's rage, pain. It's important to feel them, not to build an altar to them. Yeah, not 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 to indulge them day after day and replay them in our mind and feed that negativity, yeah. you know, and live with it for six months or six years. I mean, I literally know a woman who's been living with it for like forty years. Right. Well, some stuff has happened to people that is mighty tough to think that one could forget. But I believe yeah. it is possible. But I understand it's very difficult in some situations. It's difficult. It can be very difficult. But if you can feel the feelings, let yeah. yourself feel fully. That's a great point. Yep. Then it can be easy. Let it go. Let it yeah. go. Even if you have to cry for two days, you know? Yep. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah. Because stuffing it down isn't an effective system either. You know, right. Like I said, that, that the discernment between what really deserve, what, what's worth that and what's not, like you said, the traffic getting cut off, you know, that's crazy to carry that for the rest of the day. But, uh, when a friend betrays me or so-called, then, you know, I do need to feel that. I do need to feel that energy. And one of the things I would talk about is that, uh, I have to, I have to expel that energy somehow in a safe way though, so that I'm not hurting anybody. Uh, I'm not spitting it out on somebody that can't handle it. That's another great thing about my sponsor is that when I have some bound up energy, I can talk to him and he can absorb it safely. And he knows what I'm doing because I'll give him keywords and stuff. Hey man, I just need to vent for a minute. And then, okay. I feel better now. Yeah. And then yeah. sometimes he'll go, well, you might want to go back and talk to <laughs> you know, he'll, uh, give me some uh, sponsorly advice after that. But that's a real good point, um, because there are times that that it's, that it's that the, the healthy thing to do is is to process it in some healthy manner. Yeah. And also, you know, when when we've hurt someone, we need to feel that pain. 
that we cause. Yeah. And that's important that it, it really helps us to realize the impact that we had on the other person if we allow ourselves to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once again, my, my anchor is in that, but, you know, we sometimes uh, something will happen and my sponsor will say that I need to make amends with that person. Mm-hmm. And I had to go face them and go admit, like I said, own that I was wrong. We say that we want to do that, you know, kind of like the deal where you don't really want to, uh, you want to do that as quick as you can. You don't want to let that uh, mm-hmm. uh, cook very long. That's not not good. So when you talk about the, uh, like this page in the, in the in the package says, and I like the way it's worded. The drive to wonder at and experience the universe's greater order is part of the human factor. From time immemorial, we have asked questions such as life after death. Uh, how are we related to one another in the entire web of life? Is there a force, an intelligence superior to my personal agency? And uh, and how do we relate to that force? And I really... Uh, I see some stuff on here that as an addict, when anytime any like psychedelics pop up, uh, I'll feel a little special tingle because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I did a lot of psychedelics back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I really don't. I didn't have a single bad experience in my when, when in, in my in mm-hmm. my history. But when today uh, I hear about people treating PTSD with different types of psychedelic stuff, depression, even alcoholism and various other disorders. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It always piques me, you know, I'm like, Hmm, maybe I could do that. You know, uh, it's just, I, I don't, uh, those substances are out of my life today and I'm a hundred percent abstinent type of dude, uh, when it comes to mind altering drugs, except for caffeine, uh, which <laughs> I've tried before to, to get off of, but, uh, Just curious, like what are, uh, help me understand what you're saying there, like with this, the spiritual, is it a power greater than yourself or how do you go about it when you're coaching somebody as far as getting in touch with the spiritual? Mm. You know, I don't see it as something that I can do in my coaching other than to recognize when the person is talking about having an experience that has you know expanded their perception expanded their consciousness like you know going into the grand canyon and just having your breath taken away and that feeling of awe and wonder that somehow I, I believe links us. It, it, it helps us feel connected to this vast, vast universe, you know, a hundred billion galaxies, each with a hundred billion stars. And here we are, you know, in this body. And and to like, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the visual yeah. will do that. That uh see it laying on a laying on the ground watching the shooting stars, a meteor shower. 
mm-hmm. you know, various other things that just give you that wow. Uh, yeah. It connects. Yeah. Nature's a big connecting point for me uh, to be out in the, the in the wilderness type of thing where I'm alone and it's just me and the the nature, just me and nature. Yeah. Uh, I feel a special, that's where I go to recharge my batteries. That's my, when, when, when I need to recharge batteries, I, I hit the woods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether, well, wherever that, that's at. That's part of the source, you know? The, yeah. And so we go there to recharge and renew yeah. And remember. I, um, I always like to say, uh, like my sponsor helped me and encouraged me to develop some understanding of a higher power without ever placing his on me. You know, and I try to model that with today, too, that I'm not because mm-hmm. uh, it's got to be it's got to be personal to you. At least in my, you know, I say in that kind of forcefully, but I don't, I don't mean it as forcefully as it sounds. But in order for it to be helpful for you, it has to be personal to you. Yeah, yeah, and, and meaningful. I, I can't. I me monkeying around in there. That's kind of that was one of my blocks. Is that I looked and I went to learn religion in school and these kind of things, and and these people believe this, and these people believe this, and these people believe this, and this, yep. and and I was I couldn't understand like which one of them is right, and I don't want to be jumping in with the wrong ones, so I'll just separate myself from all of them rather than to be picking wrong and also was behaving in a way that there are rules and stuff weren't really aligning with what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, but now I look at them and I've opened through time and recovery and healing and, and work on myself uh, that I actually believe today that they were all right, just in their own way, you know, Uh, because there's cave, there's, hieroglyphics in caves on opposite sides of this planet to represent humans a long time ago, worshiping something. Right. And how could they both be doing that X thousands of years ago and have that same thing? If there really wasn't something there, if there was some kind of, you know, every culture has had one for as long back as we can document. As long as we can remember and document, that's right. Every culture had some expression, some way, of recognizing worshiping even the transcendent yeah yeah and today i try to draw from all of them or any of them that i'm exposed to i'm not gonna say all because also way too big a work but uh i don't have to be closed off to it anymore and that was one of the things that i would shut down pretty quickly if the topics got turned to that in the past and today uh my mouth waters when i become uh when i get a taste of something i didn't know (laughs) I think that's an important distinction, you know, to simply be open. Yeah, because, you know, there's another spiritual axiom, and I know we're running out of time. If you don't want to be helped, there's nobody in the world can help you. Hmm. If you're not open to being, the patient has to be, uh, has to participate in the treatment. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the... Uh, we get those calls all the time about my brother's drinking a whole lot. What do I do to help him? You know, and it's like, I'm sorry to say there really is very little that you can do until he gets to the point that he wants help. Um, 
one one thing is is loved ones can sometimes create consequences but uh until you want it till you're open to it it's not going to happen absolutely I've really enjoyed speaking with you. It's always a pleasure to uh, meet these new people. And I'll say one more thing is that if some, when I looked in the wrong, when my, when my eyes were on the wrong spots, it looks like this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, but throughout, especially through the podcast in my, in recovery, I keep on meeting these people who are actually forces for the good. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a misperception that you can see if you're not, if you're looking in the uh, wrong places, we'll say it looks like things are bad, but I keep on meeting people over and over that are carrying this, uh, carrying this message for the good. Dan, I'll leave you with a quote from one of my teachers, a woman named Susan Harper. And she said, if you look out at the world and you're not weeping in pain, you're not seeing it. And if you look out at the world and you're not dancing with joy, you're not seeing it. I like it. Yeah. Well, that's an awesome, I think that's an awesome closing. Okay. (laughs) If you got any concluding thoughts, uh, if you have any other concluding thoughts you want to say, I'm open to uh, if people, it sounds like you're pretty, uh, you're not really, promoting anything for lack of a better term you do have a couple books so why don't you talk yeah. about real quick and just get a couple of the things out that yeah uh, my my revised book that just got published a few months ago is titled healing the wounds of childhood and culture an adventure of a lifetime perfect i love that and, and I talk about all these areas and how we get wounded in so many different ways, both extreme and very subtle, and the things out there that are available to support us on this journey, and that it is. It is an exciting adventure. Okay. Yeah, it is. And it can be, and it should be. It should be, can be, should be, will be if you choose it. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Dan. All right. Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to talk to you. What a great guy. So I didn't do my ending on the tail end of that. Uh, So we will end it as we always do. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, you're not doing it right. And I just want to thank everybody for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out.